The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. Today we're talking about something that a lot of people have been talking about recently, and that's climate change from scientists and policymakers to environmentalists and everyday citizens, you know, humans across the globe are concerned about the state of the planet. My guest today is author Melanie Leonard. Her new book is Life in the Hot House, How a Living Planet Survives Climate Change. And she's going to talk to us today, as you know, the show is Positive Living, so she's going to offer an alternative view of the issues at hand and explain really in a user-friendly way how our Earth's natural systems can help deal with climate change and, you know, and how we can help too. Melanie Leonard, Ph.D., is an environmental scientist and writer who specializes in climate change and forests. As a science, she studied forest dynamics in China, Colorado, and Puerto Rico, where she lived for two major hurricanes, and she's been involved in many other, many other events. She uh, is also an award-winning journalist, and we welcome Melanie Leonard. Welcome. Thank you, Patricia. It's a yeah. real delight and honor to be on yeah, your show. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's, it's a little bit scary. I want to tell you that I live in the Northeast, mm-hmm. and I live in Rhode Island, and in the last, actually, month, we had severe flooding. They have never had floods like this. I mean, homes were evacuated, businesses were lost. One of our local malls, was half of that was in water. So, I mean, it really, you know, something that we haven't experienced before. And you're saying that, you know, this is happening. I mean, it's happening everywhere in terms of severe rain and floods, you know, not just here but in the Midwest and other parts of the country. Why is this happening? Well, that's a, a really great question. Um, the flood issue is just the kind of thing that you would expect more of as the climate warms uh, for actually a very basic reason. The warm air holds more moisture than cooler air. So, you know, as you get warmer overall, even during your winters, the winter was actually fairly warm globally this past mm-hmm. January through February, uh, December through February. And, you know, that just allows more moisture to accumulate, and then it can come down in torrential downpours, or you get the situation you've got a lot of snow on the ground. When it starts melting, especially if you have a rain-on-snow event, you can really create some downpours. And I actually liken that to the sweat of the earth, where mm-hmm. the, it's the, kind of the planet's way of cooling off, moving uh, storms around and floods in general um, that I describe in the book. Because if you think of our own means of sweating, the reason we sweat is because when, you know, the reason it cools us off is when a drop of water evaporates from your skin, Mm -hmm. it takes some heat with it. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, when a drop of water evaporates off the ocean surface or maybe off the land or off a tree, it also takes heat with it. And so that's basically how our tropics stay cool enough to for people to, to live there is by, you know, we get a lot of evaporation mm-hmm. and rainfall in the tropics, but then some of that so, rain gets moved So around. then how do we control our temperature? I mean, you're explaining it now in terms of actually sweating. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like the trees sweat and the earth sweats. Is that the only way we can control our temperature? Well, uh, another one that we might be used to thinking in terms of is in the summer is trying to find some shade. So, you know, we've, we can also move around. I mean, obviously, as humans, we've created other situations where we can use air conditioning, but that's an ironic condition in that 
we, the energy we use to air condition our homes actually makes the warming worse. And when you cool your home, you're actually basically taking the heat from your house and pushing it outside. So that makes things worse, too. Hmm. But shade and evaporative I didn't cool. think of it that way. Yeah. It's kind of a, it was a surprise to me to realize, you know, how direct that was, that the air conditioners are actually just producing heat hmm. in the outdoors. But here's my, here's my question, Melanie. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's go back 100 years or 200 years. Okay. Has it changed? Is, it, is, the, is the planet different than it was then? Did we have these same disasters? Well, um, that is a lot harder to measure as far as, like, individual disasters. But there, has been some, there have been some good studies showing, I mean, certainly the temperature has increased since then by a little over a degree Fahrenheit uh, in the last century. And um, that you will find even climate skeptics will generally agree that there's been this increase, but then they'll just question whether it's related to, you know, human-caused things. So you'll see that. And then you also, there have been studies that show an increase in precipitation, especially in the east, by the way, more so in the west. Not really, we haven't seen it so much here. But an increase in precipitation and everywhere getting an increase in more intense precipitation. So just that you know, the 5% of storms that are really strong. We're seeing more of those. Um, so all those things are happening, and we're seeing um, more heat waves, and there's, of course, every reason to expect more heat waves. So, so these things, oh, and even the floods, there, there's been an, uh, there was a study by Roger Pilkey and Mary Dalton that showed, you know, you actually had more flood damage going on from about, I think they looked at mid-century and, you know, and they found that it wasn't just related to people building expensive homes close to the coast. It was actually, the floods were actually getting stronger, too. Mm. So, you know, you also talk about um, the climate change, and it sounds like you're saying that sort of our own nature will take care of it to keep us in a safe range. But is that true? Well, it depends on how you define safe. I, I talk about how the planet has certain means, and this goes back to Gaia theory, uh, that the planet you know, has certain means of maintaining its temperature within a livable range. But as far as society is concerned, I don't think it would be in our interest to count on just the planet. I think we can work with the planet. And so, so then we can go back and see that during the Ice Ages, for instance, you know, we know it was a lot colder, and greenhouse gas levels were lower, and it was actually a lot drier then, too. During our, our, the period we're in now, I would kind of consider this, a, many people would consider this kind of an intermediate stage, the Goldilocks just right place that we're used to. So we've built our cities, you know, near the coast, and uh, in, during glacial times, sea levels were about 300 feet lower than they are now. And during the hothouses that I talk about, when there was no ice on the planet, going back 50 million years ago and, and 100 million years ago, I focus on those two periods, but it was actually a lot of time on the planet when there was no ice. But see, the sea levels were 150 to 300 feet higher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are major differences. In fact, there was an inland sea that covered most of Arizona, where I, you know, the area that I'm in now. So if, if we look at the way things are happening now, and, and what can we do as individuals? You know, what can we do if, in fact, uh, the planet is sweating more and we are susceptible more to floods and to the erratic weather? It, what can we do in terms of being a conscious consumer? Well, honey, the... the The consumer issue that's important is, you know, for our own society's sake, we need to think about just trying to limit this warming to as little as possible. We know we've got warming going on and more down the pike, but, you know, the the more we can keep it within a reasonable range, the better off we'll be. So anything that reduces your fossil fuel emissions using coal, oil, and gas, Mm -hmm. like driving or heating your home, cooling your home, um, you know, depend like if you're getting food, if you buy food that was locally grown, that can make a big difference because it's not being transported across the country by vehicles. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you can do, and on top of that, you can also follow nature's example because basically during these hothouse periods, forests and wetlands really expanded. 
Um, there were, you know, the kind of coastal mangrove forests that you see in the tropics were all the way up by England, mm-hmm. and forests were growing on the poles, and also still in the tropics as far as um, the evidence indicates. So, you know, they were pretty much, it was a much wetter planet, probably really big hurricanes that are off the charts by our standards today. But just thinking that why would the planet need more forests and wetlands just leads us to some of the things that can really make a difference at our own, in our own backyard, which is we mentioned the shade of trees can cool. It's not just a matter of cooling people off. If you put it in the right place, it can cool your house so you don't need as much energy to cool it. Mm. I mean, we're talking a difference of like 30 degrees Fahrenheit surface temperature, like the temperature of your skin. So should we be more aware of, A, and you said it before, using our air conditioners, you may be trying not to use them as much because you're putting, pushing the hot air out. Very much so. That would be a great way to do it. And, and another thing you can do is while air conditioners are pushing out heat, they are also producing water. They're pulling water out of the air, and they just tend to leak it goes somewhere, usually somewhere random. But if you collect some of that water and use it to help grow plants, maybe that will help dissipate the heat because um, besides shading, plants also have this same kind of thing like we do with sweat and the planet does with rain, is they will evaporate water, which can cool the environment around them by usually about 4 to 7 degrees Fahrenheit yeah. during the day. It's more... You, you notice it more during the day because water also is a greenhouse gas, so at night it might feel the humidity can trap heat. All right, so what do you do? Mm. Okay, so somebody listening to this interview says, okay, I'm not going to use my air conditioning, and I'm very, very hot. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you, you know, suggest? One thing um, that I've been doing that helps is it's not, it, instead of cooling your whole house, uh, maybe just pick a room or two where you're at. You know, I tend, I work at a, a home office sometimes, so I'll just open the vent in that room and keep that room really cool and let the rest of the house warm up a bit. And, uh, you know, the same thing with heating. A lot of times we don't really need to heat the whole house. It's really the bedrooms, you know, at night. And so if you just have a vent system that you can go around and just easily open and close, that can really make a difference you know, without putting you in discomfort. And, of course, there's always the idea of wearing, just just wearing fewer clothes, you know, just try to wear a light uh, dress or something or uh, slacks and shirt in the house if you're, if you're just being casual instead of trying are to wear a Is there any danger in the winter or are we safer in the winter in terms of what we need to do? Hmm. Probably, I think more people actually die from winter freezing than summer overheating at this point in mm. the planet uh, stage. So, you know, and, and of course, heating is another thing that um, heats the planet because it's burning natural gas. A lot of systems are natural gas, or maybe they're electric running on coal, which are all fossil fuels producing greenhouse gases. So, um, that that can matter too. I mean, definitely wearing sweaters and um, you know, just going back to even some of the the things that were being discussed in the 70s, of maybe in some cases using a, an electric blanket might be more efficient than warming all the air. Hmm. You know, just trying to think creatively, like what can I do to reduce my footprint? And of course, driving is a big one for Americans. Anybody who's living in a city that has good public transportation and can take advantage of that is really making a big contribution to keeping things stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, people who ride their bikes. Here we don't get much snow in, in Tucson, Arizona, so you can ride your bikes year-round, although it gets kind of hot in the summer when it's 108, but as long as you find shade, you're okay. Mm. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest today is Melanie Leonard, and her book is Life in the Hot House: How a Living Planet Survives Climate Change. When we come back, we're going to talk more about what we can do to help with climate change. Um, you know, how do, we, how do we have a livable planet without cutting our fossil fuel? Um, what is it that we as society really need to do? You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. You can write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Music. 
news, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. Wielding power, shaping environments and outcomes, and making things happen are all essential characteristics of great leaders. Yet these qualities alone are not enough to ensure your success. In a complex world, how do you decide what's most important to you? In your career, your relationships, your finances, your family, in the world around you, in the whole of your life at large. Dr. Joseph Riggio, the host of Leadership Intuition, says that personal leadership, the desire to take charge of your life, is the key to creating futures that work and building a life worth living. Join Joseph as he reveals the power of uncovering and living your own personal mythology, the key to personal transformation, exquisite performance, and social influence. Learn to look inside and discover your personal mythology and unique leadership style. Go beyond conventional advice and discover your unique success blueprint on Leadership Intuitions with Dr. Joseph Riggio each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Leadership Intuitions, power, achievement, relationships. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. We're talking today very much about our planet and how we are going to survive the climate change because we've had a lot of it recently. My guest is Melanie Leonard, and her new book is Life in the Hot House, How a Living Planet Survives Climate Change. And Melanie Leonard is the author, as I said, of Life in the Hot House. She's an environmental scientist and a writer who specializes in climate change and is force. She studied, uh, obviously, she has studied force dynamics all over the world, and she has been uh, also researched force policy in the aftermath of an Arizona wildfire. She's an award-winning journalist as well. Welcome back, Melanie. Thank you, Patricia. Let's talk about um, hothouse gases and greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do we link that to temperature, and how do we work with that along with fossil fuels? Well, basically, your, your fossil fuels like coal, oil, and gas, they're basically carbon-based, and so when they burn, they unite with the oxygen in the air, and they produce carbon dioxide. So that's our major greenhouse gas that warms the planet. And it's just one of many gases, methane's another, water vapor's a big one, that have this ability to kind of trap heat at the surface. And anybody who is tossed and turned through a humid night in August, you know, can understand how greenhouse gases work. They're kind of trapping the heat so that even during the night it's still hot and it's hotter during the day than it might be. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of hard sometimes at the scale of a planet to see exactly how much the increase in greenhouse gases that we have measured very carefully, how much that's affecting the temperature directly because there's also a lot of variability in the climate system. These volcanoes, for instance, if the ash gets high enough, like the one we're seeing in Iceland, if that were to get high enough, that could actually cool the planet off for a year or so. Hmm. But uh, it doesn't seem to be getting to that level. But, you know, there's a lot of things the planet can do, but we do know that greenhouse gases are associated with higher temperatures. Anytime the planet's been in a hothouse state with no ice, the, the, ga- the greenhouse gas levels have been even higher than they are now in general, kind of where we're headed, actually. So even though people aren't really talking about 
as if we're going to end up in a state with no ice on the planet, the greenhouse gas levels we're putting up there would be similar, but we have other conditions going on, and we're just not sure how fast the ice will melt. But, it, you know, it takes a while because it's, it's a cold system up there, mm-hmm. like a refrigerator. So when people come to you and say, Melanie, you know, uh, there have never been as many floods or look at the earthquakes that just happened in Haiti, and I'm sure people call you and say, you know, I'm really scared. What's going to happen in my area? What do you say to them? Well, um, with the thing, the the earthquake in Haiti is interesting. I'm not, I haven't seen a connection between earthquakes and temperature as in climate change, but uh, sometimes the same things, and certainly in Haiti's case, that could help with, um, Hurricanes. They get a lot of hurricanes. I used to live in Puerto Rico, which is not far from Haiti, mm-hmm. and you know that's where I went through a couple of hurricanes. And you can see that the forests there are really crucial. The one I went through, Hurricane Hugo in 1989, basically the rainforest in Puerto Rico took the brunt of that, and you know took a lot of the damage. Well, in Haiti, they've got almost no forest cover. So not only do you have hurricanes just battering the island or any kind of flood, you know, because trees, besides being good for shade and cooling, they also are good at storing water. Wetlands in particular can hold a lot of water and reduce a storm surge. But so the trees, um, you know, they could, even in the earthquake, if they just had more fruit trees around, maybe people wouldn't be starving and exposed to such extreme heat, and there might mm-hmm. be more rivers on the island. So all, it's interesting that things that can help with climate change generally help at the smaller scale and for, with many other problems as well. Mm-hmm. So let's talk more about sort of keeping our climate change in normal ranges. Mm-hmm. What else can we do to help with that? Um, well, you were asking earlier about the consumer ideas, and we were talking about any way to consume, you know, less gas or oil or coal is great. But another element of that, since we do uh, recognize the importance of forests, is if you can, you know, use recycled paper, that's a, that's a great con- contribution. And I was very excited that the University of Arizona Press, which published my book, printed it on 100% post-consumer paper. Mm. You know, that can be an important thing. Keep our forests in the forest. You know, keep our trees in the forest mm-hmm. instead of on the pages. Um, and so basically anything uh, that helps, well, one thing that, that just can add up is taking your own mug in when you go to get coffee. If you're like me and drink, out, eat, drink coffee out a lot, you know, kind of on the run, uh, just taking your mug with you because otherwise you're gonna, they're going to give you a paper cup. I mean, I've been, I don't know how the, if this is a trend around the country or if it's just in Tucson, but I have to specifically ask if I'm staying in for coffee for a mug for here. Otherwise, they will just give you a paper cup that I'm pretty sure is not recycled. Mm-hmm. So things like that can add up, um, you know, eating, eating locally and eating fewer meat. I mean, meat takes more water and land than uh, vegetables do. So if you can go to, you know, more primary diet. So it's funny how consuming on a lot of levels can really um, add up and help. And, and, you know, you touched on something we hadn't talked about before, and that's what we eat. Mm-hmm. Does that make a difference in terms of climate change? You know, it does because um, one of the other main greenhouse gases, we've been focusing on carbon dioxide a bit because that's the one that's big in forests, uh, that trees take down a lot of that. But um, another greenhouse gas that contributes, so carbon dioxide is about 60% of our warming that we'd expect, and methane is about 20%. And one of the major ways of producing methane is from cattle and livestock. So that's actually, especially when you're clustering them together, as, as we tend to do in our country, uh, how you raise them. So, so that actually does make a big difference, and, you know, besides just the water footprint and um, you know, how you're transporting them. So would you, what, would, what do you think we need to eat less of? Would you say eat less meat? As much as feels comfortable for you, yes. I think that that is a contribution. And buying locally, again, even mm-hmm. if it is meat, buying it locally is just going to be helpful. So maybe if you, if you do find Because of all the like fuel and because of the energy that it takes to transport things? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so farmer's markets are just a wonderful way to deal with things and 
you know, and, and also some of these local farmers tend to have a different type of production. You know, they might just be raising a 100 cows or something instead of 10,000. And so it's just not quite the impact that you'd get. You know, that some of the methane just comes from fermenting manure. So, mm-hmm. What do you think about all the uh, earthquakes we had and just what happened in Iceland with the glacier? Uh, the volcano? You mean? Yes. Um, I mean, I think these are, these are interesting things. I want to look into this. I haven't seen a link between uh, earthquakes and climate change. It may be the, the similar thing that we see a lot where it's just that as our population is growing, people are ending up more in where earthquakes are occurring, where, you know, typically they may have been just occurring here and there. Uh, I grew up in the Chicago area, and I remember hearing about a big earthquake that was down in southern Illinois, uh, maybe around the turn of the last century. But it didn't really, it was huge, but it didn't really affect a population center, so it kind of faded into history as more of a quirk. And I'm wondering how much of what we're seeing might be related to that. But, you know, I think that at any rate, just the idea, one of the things that would really help us be more prepared for the changing climate is just being ready to help people in disasters, any kind of disaster. Mm -hmm. So if we can, I mean, we learned after Katrina how negligent we could be as a country in being able to, um, you know, respond to a serious natural disaster. And um, I think with some of this earthquake, this earthquake um, that we're seeing, these earthquakes around, I mean, the same thing, we need to have some kind of centralized disaster response system so that people are being rescued from those fallen buildings and Absolutely. You know. And, you know, when I mentioned the word glacier before, because it, because it happened in Iceland, mm-hmm. the glaciers are affected somehow with that, aren't they? Uh, well, in this case, the ash was part, because the hot, um, magma was coming out through through a glacier, through mm-hmm. the snow. That was part of the reason it was turning into a, a really glassy ash. It's from mm. what I said. Which was which was blinding airplanes. That's right. It was yeah. It was at the level that airplanes fly and I think they're just starting to get ready to put some planes back in the sky mm-hmm. in Europe. But you know that's it, uh, it, there's it's really there's a scary part, but then you're talking about how you have in your book a chapter which I love called an herbal remedy Ah. Plants work to restore balance. Oh yes, thanks. How for does that happen? That one. Well, that that actually is something that a lot of that pretty much all scientists know, I think, but I don't think it's quite making it out to the general public that right now our natural systems, our forests and the ocean together, they are already taking up more than half of the the greenhouse gases that we're putting in the air as as a society by burning coal, oil, and gas. So they're already on the job. And, you know, I think we need to realize, we, we just need to remember that um, the planet itself would normally be expanding its forests and wetlands as it warmed. You know, you see that as the snow melts. I mean, we saw that with the, when the last ice age ended, you know. But at that time, mm-hmm. the glaciers were all the way down by Chicago. We, at the community college I went to at one point was called Moraine Valley Community College in honor of the glacier there that had been over it. So, you know, obviously plants, trees aren't going to, will not be able to grow on glaciers, but as they move north toward the poles in this case, you know, the trees will come in, and that's just part of the natural system where they'll start taking down the carbon dioxide, and that's one of the ways that the earth helps balance its temperature. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest is Melanie Leonard. Her book is Life in the Hothouse, How a Living Planet Survives Climate Change. And where can people find you in terms of uh, logging onto the website? Um, well, if you put my name in, uh, it, you can get to my website. It's www.u.arizona.edu slash Tilda M. Lenart, but maybe just putting in Melanie Lenart would be easier. All right. Or just climate change and life in the hothouse. Definitely. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Melanie. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. My guest is Melanie Leonard, and her book is Life in the Hot House, How a Living Planet Survives Climate Change. And Melanie Leonard is a scientist, and she's an environmental scientist and writer who specializes in climate change and in forests. Welcome back, Melanie. Thank you. Um, she's at the University of Arizona. Um, I told you I wanted to ask this during the break. I think it's a fun question. If someone came to you and said, you know, Melanie, I want to move somewhere, where would, you, where would you suggest I move where I would have the best climate and the least amount of chance of real uh, climate problems? That's a, that is an interesting question. And, uh, well, I guess it probably wouldn't be Tucson where I'm at since we have the potential for more droughts and we're already kind of straining our water resources. So mm. uh, the southwest would be a little bit sketchy there. Um, and then, of course, coastal areas, you'd have to, anybody that's in the hurricane zone like Florida or Louisiana, which actually are some of my favorite kinds of climates, the warm, humid climates. But, you know, I, if you can get about 100 miles away from the coast, then you're more likely to just get heavy rains rather than actual hurricane winds. Uh, but I guess I'd have to go back to my Midwestern roots and recommend somewhere around the Great Lakes. I mean, you've got all, so much of the fresh water in the world, and, um, you know, it, it seems like a pretty, uh, pretty safe environment in many ways. But the one thing that everybody's going to be facing, I mean, the Midwest has a lot of agriculture, so that's something that's really up for shifting around. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to think ahead. Mm-hmm. I what think, about other places in the world? Uh, well, there's a lot of other places that are, you know, we're, we are lucky, even though we can see that when we have a problem like Katrina, it does drain, I mean, it kills our own people and, you know, drains our economy also. But people, at least we have an economy, a healthy economy generally to start with, you know, this current recession notwithstanding, but places like India and Bangladesh that have to face, I mean, Bangladesh in particular, with the, the Bay of Bengal area, it's already really low, and you've got sea level rise, and it, it's right in the hurricane zone, and also gets monsoons. So, you know, places like that are really kind of right in the danger zones. And, and of course, any developing country, Africa has had some problems with drought and, you know, you just can't afford to have uh, loose crops in a place like that where there's already not enough food to begin with or too much of it getting exported. So, um, you know, even though there are actually, oh, another place, another thing about 
this country that I would probably tend to stay away from is the thick forests at this point because we're seeing a real increase in these kind of catastrophic wildfires. And you can manage them. You can make the forests safer so that they won't have those kind of fires. But maybe better to follow like what the Apache Indians do and live near the forest but not in them. (laughs) Interesting. Let's talk more about when the earth is warm and how that's affecting our, our, left, our wetlands. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, what we have, like we've, we've mentioned that the wetlands would be expanding because one thing, you've got sea level rise, so you've got a lot more moisture on the land, and the mm. rivers actually come up too when the water table gets higher like that. So you've just got more moisture around. A lot of times wetlands may just be around rivers and coasts. But um, so that and... We, the soil that is carried through and, and developed, you know, around can also help take down carbon dioxide. But um, what what you do get with wet with interior wetlands, anyway, is you do get the release of methane, which is another greenhouse gas, uh, not from coastal wetlands. So coastal wetlands, which you really need to protect from hurricanes, because by the way, mo- many wetlands are actually forested wetlands, like cedar swamps. Mm-hmm. And they're very good at helping to diminish winds. So the more you can put, you know, wetlands or forests, or if they're the same thing, between where a storm would come in and civilization's doorstep, the better off you are. Um, but and the other thing is they'll absorb the storm surge. But it's, it's it's still interesting to me that this natural greenhouse gas, methane, when it does uh, decay, which only takes about usually around ten years one of the things it turns into is water. So it's interesting that wetlands are producing this gas that turns into water and carbon dioxide, basically. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's go back again to your book and mm-hmm. to really look at something you write about, which I found very interesting, Melanie, called an internal cleanse, mm-hmm. actually the additive power of the soil and wetlands. So let's talk about how they add. Great. Um, yeah, well, basically forests are holding most of the um, the above ground, we like to call it in the sciences, you know, the, the carbon that you can see. So basically uh, trees are half carbon. All of it came down from carbon dioxide. That was in the air. And then some of that, the, the soils underneath the forests and in other parts of the world, but um, they hold at least usually about twice as many, twice as much carbon as the trees themselves. So the trees are basically shunting some of that carbon down into the soil. And wetlands, you really see that in a big way. They are really pulling carbon down. And one more thing about wetlands is, uh, as far as the internal cleanse part comes in, is they really purify the water. So that's something that gets really important as the climate warms. Um, Like, for instance, a lot of people are familiar with there's a huge dead zone that develops every summer. In the, in the Gulf of um, California, I mean, sorry, the Gulf of Mexico down by the Mississippi. And it gets worse, you know, temperature, higher temperatures will shoot out some oxygen, so it makes it more likely to create this dead zone that plants and animals can't survive. And uh, if you were just able to line the river upstream, a lot of that problem comes from Iowa, ironically where you've got a lot of corn growing and nitrogen fertilizer coming down the river and all along the way. And when it gets into that that gulf, you know, here's one of our more productive areas in this country as far as seafood goes, and we're just Mm -hmm. letting all this nitrogen come in, which then, like, just promotes algae growth. And then the algae, as it dies, it uses up the oxygen. I mean, that can really create disasters. Meanwhile, if you just lined the the waterways with more wetlands instead of taking, destroying them as we tend to be doing. You know, we just need to really bring more wetlands back. You could actually uh, really help with that dead zone, according to some uh, some studies I've seen. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. All right, we're coming to the close of the interview. So what is it that you really want people to learn, particularly about, you know, our, our systemic healing on the whole as a planet and how we can really survive the climate change. Yeah, I think we really need to think in terms of the whole and realize that there are a lot of positive things we can do 
as well as reducing our uh, our own carbon and greenhouse gas emissions. You know that we need to think in terms of what the planet is doing, and maybe it's a matter of working to promote your local uh, local wetland restoration effort, or maybe it's maybe it is you know getting uh, protecting some forest either by buying land up or you know. Uh, protecting it in another way, but making sure that, that you're really, you know, protecting the forest itself. I think a typical American would need uh, about maybe uh, 75 or 100 trees or so to offset their emissions, so that's not going to mm, be that's easily a lot. purchased. Yes, it is. It's, but, you know, maybe an acre of land, if you think in those terms, um, just for one person's emissions. So it is. Talk it, about emissions. What about car emissions? Uh, what do you feel about cars? Do you feel we should be driving hybrids? Well, hybrids are great, or anything with low gas mileage. I mean, I have a little Toyota Tercel that's not a hybrid that gets about 35 miles a gallon. And so, you know, that's good, too. Um, of course, public transportation is great. But, you know, planes are actually one of our biggest uh, carbon creators. I, it, I was doing one of those carbon footprint things and thinking, like, okay, I must be doing okay. And then, you know, I put a couple of plane trips in there and shoo, really shoots up your footprint. So mm. I think we really need to get a uh, better train system going in this country. And besides just public transportation, you know, we need to be able to get from one distant city to another mm-hmm. without having to take take planes. Well, I remember when there was a huge push for people to carpool to go to work. Oh, yeah, that's great. And we still have that here. Uh, we have special lanes on our highways in Arizona where only if you've got more than one person in your car can you use that fast lane. That's a great oh, system, which too. is great. Yeah. Great. Do you teach courses on climate change? I decide what you do at the university. I have in the past, but lately I'm focusing a little more on teaching people how to write about science with climate change as my focus. I guess working on this book kind of brought the writer back out in me, and I mm-hmm. thought, we need more of this. I think science communication is also really important right now. because Well, I think it is because I think people are afraid, don't you? I do. I think that, you know, it, it, I think things need to be brought down more to the level of, you know, where a person lives. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. makes them feel more comfortable in control mm-hmm. of their situation. And, yeah. you know, it, there's too many things that are just, you know, that are projections that you wonder. Even I look at some of these models and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't see all the information they use to get that result. But that's why I kind of felt like, after doing this book, which is mainly based on observations, including like how warm climates got in the past based on their greenhouse gas levels, uh, it, it comes out to about the same. So the models are, you know, basically projecting a similar range that the the past climates would would predict. So I think I, I don't think we're going to get too much uh, relief from challenging those models. <laughs> mm. All right, Melanie, we've come to the close. So closing thoughts. Really quickly. Well, I think we just need to do. We do need to remember that nature is helping us now. Nature is powerful, and let's just at least work with the planet okay. and try not to work against it. Thank you so much. My guest has been Melanie Leonard, and her book is Life in the Hot House: How a Living Planet Survives Climate Change. Thank, Thank you. you. Stay on the line. Thank you so much for being on the program, Melanie. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. Remember, you can write to Patricia, patriciaraskin.com, and I'd love to put you on my newsletter list. Stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America. Bye for now. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. 
Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio, Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Listen for the right turn with J.J. O'Malley. It's an insider's look at America's fastest-growing motorsports series, the Grand Am Rolex Sports Car Series, presented by Crown Royal Cask Number 16. You'll hear about what happened last weekend and get a preview of what's coming up next. From the Rolex 24 at Daytona, through Watkins Glen International, Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca, right up to the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. The Right Turn with J.J. O'Malley, broadcast live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. Looking for a top show about horse racing and handicapping? Looking to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies website, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. Listen for top plays for the weekend in the spot play of the week and win prizes just for listening. Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer is live Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. The Sports Mavericks Show redefines the elite athlete by bridging the gap between parents, athletes, and the community. Host Ida Moyer, a.k.a. the Oprah of Sports, brings to the Voice America Network original programming, balancing the pursuit of academic excellence and sports participation. The Sports Mavericks Show airs every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listeners will be engaged in straightforward talk, spontaneous and unscripted by the experts. Ida and her guests will explore the challenges of success and failure in sports and will help athletes and their parents navigate the transition from high school, college, and then on to the pros. We put fun back into sports and recognize role models in sports through our Sports Mavericks All-Star Award Program. Tune in Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with Ida Mouillet and the Sports Mavericks Show right here on The Voice. Voice America Sports Channel. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Intuitions with host Dr. Joseph Riggio, personal advisor to elite performers and leaders worldwide for over 20 years, the architect and designer of the Mythos Self Process, and one of the world's foremost experts in the applied mythology of leadership. Join Dr. Riggio for the next hour as he explores the essence of personal leadership. It's time to go beyond conventional advice and discover your unique success blueprint. Here's your host, Dr. Joseph Riggio. 